Hello, and welcome to Narrative. I'm so excited about today's podcast. It's the first time Sherry Jacobus and I have collaborated on an investigation. And tonight, we'll solve one of the biggest political mysteries around. Did Russia help Donald Trump to win the 2016 election? You think you know, but do you? Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting tonight's investigation. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash zev. That's betterhelp.com slash zev. Start living a better life today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday Night's Narrative Live. It's so good to be with you tonight. Here with Sherry Jacobus. How are you tonight, Sherry? Nice to see you again. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited because we're premiering something tonight we've decided to do called uh, Muller's Lost Files, inspired <laughs> by your incredible feed. Because every time I look at your feed on Twitter, it's always got some interesting little bits and pieces from uh, the Muller report that have not been followed up on. And I, and I was like, we should really follow up on that. So that's what Because I never thread them. I just sort of shoot them out there, you know. <laughs> uh, however should, however it works. I'm on your feed a lot. And, and <laughs> good. Good. I encourage now, everyone to be on my feet a lot. Exactly. And everyone should follow you indeed. Now, you're known as a former Republican strategist, amongst many other great things. But as well, you are also the executive producer of America Reads the Mueller Report, which you did on um, public access television and also on I was mostly, um, that's right, that's public access television or shows like that, right? Or networks like that? Actually, we did it on Sinclair. Okay. Uh, we actually produced, it was a half hour reading of the highlights of the Mueller Report. I had celebrities and a few uh, real people and we had it produced in Hollywood, pretty much all volunteer. And we bought half hour time slots on local TV, right. but just, you know, regular local TV where you could get a half hour, uh, including Sinclair. And we did it in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and, you know, Michigan and places like that. Trying to get the Mueller report out to the middle of the country. It's interesting you mentioned Sinclair because Boris Epstein comes up in today's show. We'll talk about that a little later on. But it's also because of your executive production of that show that you're the most uh, suitable person to have on a show that looks back at the Mueller report and looks at some of the highlights and looks at some of the loose threads that maybe were left behind. And tonight we're going to be looking at two instances that are kind of interesting. One involves uh, George Nader, the Republican or Trump advisor who also worked for the UAE and the Saudi Arabians, as well as maybe Israel, and his recent guilty plea related to funding the Hillary Clinton campaign. But also we're going to talk about an interesting case which involved an ABC News producer who might have handed over the results of exit polling on election day to the Republican campaign, the Trump campaign, and uh, he may have helped them win that election. Yeah. So don't just briefly tell us what that story is about, and then we'll jump back into the news. Well, this was interesting because it was something that came out. It was actually in the book that Corey Lewandowski and Dave Bossie, um, Citizens United fame, and he was the deputy campaign manager for the Trump campaign in 2016. They co-wrote a book, and in it, they talked about how on election night, uh, Dave Bossie's good buddy, Chris Blasto of ABC News, called them at 5.01 on election night. Now, there's a consortium of media that all get together and they together get, they pay for exit polling. At five o'clock, they get it, they are sworn to secrecy. It is not to be shared with anyone for obvious reasons. So what does Chris Blasto do at 5.01? He calls Dave Bossy at the Trump campaign on election night and said, you guys have a long night ahead of you, you lost, and here's where you lost. 
and it was the expected places where Hillary was ahead in the polls. And uh, this news was conveyed to Reince Priebus and I guess Manafort and uh, Kushner and then to Trump. And he apparently turned to Melania and said, we lost. Looks like we lost. They're telling us we lost. You know, that in and of itself is pretty bad that somebody from the media was sharing this. Mm -hmm. And Chris Blasto, as you know, you may know, I think you've read this, he goes back with Bossy back to the days of the Monica Lewinsky and the Clinton impeachment. He was the point guy that did a bunch of stuff on this and reported on it and produced a lot of stuff for ABC News. So as a result of him helping the Trump campaign in 2016, he was going to be the communications director. And apparently Jason Miller had a problem with this because he wanted to be the communications director. Right. He became the communications director and he now is still with Trump, as we know. So that's how all these guys start you know, jockeying for jobs. Well, ABC News did, I guess they, Blasto got a slap on the wrist, but he was then promoted. <laughs> so he's doing just fine. But the whole point of that, when you got the exit polling, when you put that up against what we know from the Mueller report, that Paul Manafort basically had Kalimnik, who had worked with the Russian worked with forever, get the early internal polling data to Putin. And that's yeah. where there was collusion and conspiracy. That's where they were working with Russia to help Russia help Trump to interfere in our elections in 2016 to help Trump. So not only did Russia have the early internal polling data, which at that point would have shown them kind of where they needed to get ready to go mm. when they got more information. Now, also remember, you know, that you're giving away they, too much of the story. You might want to stop there because we're going to get through all of this a little later on. You've got, that's a good setup, though. That is a good setup because it gets really interesting <laughs> and we're going to get into the weeds of it. And it's really fascinating as we look at what Vlasto did that day. I've been on the receiving end of some of those exit polling. It sure was a no-no to phone anybody from a campaign, release any information yeah. when I got them. And I'm sure he was aware of that, too, when he made that phone call. But, you know, we'll find out what the reasoning was, hopefully, at some point during tonight's show. Let's get into the news, though, because there is a lot of news from the Select Committee investigating January the 6th on the Hill. They have released four new subpoenas today. Well, these aren't the biggest names, but I'm going to go with him first. I find him fascinating. Boris Epstein is amongst the people who I thought had sort of left the Trump orbit in the last few years, but apparently has re-emerged. We remember him from 2016. He's a Russian-American, I think might be still closely aligned to some Russian interests. But the Select Committee's investigation has revealed credible evidence that he publicly promoted claims that the 2020 election was stolen and participated in attempts to disrupt or delay the certification of the election result. It says here that you, meaning Boris, participated in a press conference on November 19, 2020, during which attorneys for the Trump campaign promoted claims of election fraud. Published reports have placed you at meetings at the Willard Hotel, which was, this is really interesting. So he was at the Willard Hotel in the war room on the days leading up to January the 6th. And you are reported of having participated in a call with former President Trump on the morning of January the 6th, during which options were discussed to delay the certification of election results in light of Vice President Pence's unwillingness to deny or delay certification. That puts him right in the middle of the action, both at the Willard Hotel and as being discussing strategy with Trump on the morning of. Yeah, and obviously that's what they're getting at. And of mm -hmm. course, we know him from being the top political guy at Sinclair for a long time. But uh, yeah, so they're going at the people who had conversations with Trump as close to the time as possible to the attack on the Capitol. They need to know what those conversations were, what was going on in the planning. They want their phone records. And this is, you know, Boris is one of those guys. He's a longtime Trumper, you know, Trump aide in the Trump orb. So he would be someone who would have 
I would say it's likely that he would be somebody who would have direct contact with Trump uh, yeah. throughout this entire ordeal. And so that's why he's of interest, obviously. I mean, it appears that some of the other names fall into that category as well. These are people who, if they were at the Willard, they're in touch with Trump and yeah. they have something to offer. So they're going to plead the fifth or they'll lie. You know, they're going to stall. So but at least um, the committee, at least, is trying to get at these people, even if DOJ appears, you know, from the experts that know how this stuff goes to not be doing quite that. Yeah, I mean, we know that on the days leading up to January the 6th, the Willard Hotel was where they were trying to convince all the Republican congressmen and senators to jump on board to this delay scheme, you know, this stop the steal scheme of not certifying these election results. So it's interesting that he was involved there in the days leading up to January the 6th, and then also in the morning of, which means they were fully aware at this point, Vice President Pence was not going to do what they wanted him to do. So they were planning what? Planning a insurrection, a violent coup? What were they planning? It really does sure. begin to beg that question. Sure. You know, and yeah. you can tell by the language that Steve Bannon uses uh, exactly what they wanted them to do. So what they're doing now is saying, well, okay, if all these people who are clearly in touch with Trump during this time, they all knew what the plan was. So did Trump. Yeah. Or did Trump order did, it even. Yeah, yeah, it certainly begs that question. So off to Rudy Giuliani. I mean, it took him a while to get subpoenaed. I'm surprised it took this long. They say about Rudolph Giuliani here, the select committee's investigation has revealed credible evidence, yada, yada, yada. We know that part already. And it says between mid-November 2020 and January the 6th, 2021, and thereafter, you actively promoted claims of election fraud on behalf of former President Trump and sought to convince state legislators to take steps to overturn the election results according to witness testimony and public reporting. In December 2020, you urged President Trump to direct the seizure of voting machines around the country. That's really interesting that he did that. After being told that the Department of Homeland Security had no lawful authority to do so. According to public reporting on January 6th and in the days prior, you were in contact with then-President Trump and members of Congress regarding strategies for delaying or overturning the results of the 2020 election. So that point there, I think I knew this, but I wasn't sure I, I knew this, that Rudy was the one who urged President Trump to direct for the seizure of voting machines around the country. Right. And I think yeah. somebody else is probably joining in on that. But I don't know, Zeb, it seems to me, and you know, I've worked on Capitol Hill and I, and I worked for a committee that had an oversight subcommittee. So I know a little bit about how these investigations go. And you do want to get to the truth and everything, but they also know the impact that it has to make their point. So I'm guessing that they will get all the stuff that we already know that Trump was in touch with these people. Clearly, there's records of this, but to get it all together in one point and then to put it out there with, you know, this big, long list of all of the people that Trump was talking to who were all involved in this sedition, in this planning. And so it's not just a little one off here or this little detail that leaks out a couple months later. I think if the committee puts it out there, one big wave uh, so that it's really kind of hard for anybody other than the cult to sort of beat that back they will be able to make their point at that point does doj do something we have adam schiff saying they should not be waiting for the committee that that's not how these things are supposed to go it might make it a little easier. I mean, those are the unanswered questions right now. Well, I mean, look, they're obviously investigating a seditious conspiracy. You can't have that seditious conspiracy not involving all these people unless you're just going to investigate a portion of it. So, you know, they have to be investigating it. Whether they're going to take action is a whole other question. Right. I'm just fascinated by this idea that I've never heard of anyone urging the president of the United States to seize voting machines around the country. And we know this was their plans, but I can't believe that Rudy Giuliani did that. Someone at Homeland Security must have told him, you actually can't do that. 
but still, that's uh, well, pretty stunning. But, Zev, when you look at the other things that were happening as well, I mean, who would have thought that he installed Louis DeJoy uh, at the post right. office? And when the voting machines were improved since 2016, and because of the pandemic, so many people were voting by mail, paper ballots, which makes it harder to cheat. They panicked. And that's when they blatantly, you know, we have Louis DeJoy basically removing mailboxes so that mm -hmm. people could not easily and mail sorters. Mail in Remember their the mail sorters? And Yes, at, and at taking offices? apart, dismantling $2 million machines, the yeah. mail sorting machines, so that if the mail couldn't be sorted in time, they'd miss the deadline and the votes, you know, this basically stalling it so those paper ballots, those mail-in votes could not be counted. So to say that Rudy Giuliani was advising Trump to seize the voting machines, that doesn't surprise me a bit. No. Because look what we already know that they were doing out in the open when they panicked, and that's what happened with Louis DeJoy. It seems to be so much panicking. It seems to me that they kept trying to do things and then they, things got worse and worse. And every time they try to cover up something that happened before, they pushed it to another level until you land up with five people dead as a result of an insurrection. I mean, it just seems like everything was very poorly thought out, at least, but there was clearly a lot of planning involved. Yeah, and different factions doing different things and how yeah. much Trump knew about or kind of knew about or maybe he knew the overall plan, but they might have made sure to at least not put it directly next to him. You remove it by a person or two, but everybody kind of was you know, like Bannon was in on the plan. And let's not forget there were pipe bombs planted right. uh, at the RNC and the DNC. And who knows, it was actually behind the Capitol Hill Club. Somebody found it by accident and they had a timer on them. And so they immediately said, okay, we better check out the DNC. And they went there and that pipe bomb was there. Then Vice President-elect Kamala Harris was at the Democrat, the DNC building. So that's frightening uh, yeah, that that could happen because you're wondering where was her Secret Service detail? What did they do during the advance sweep, which every Secret Service would do prior to their subject, the person they're protecting, entering, especially her on a day like that, mm -hmm. entering the building. And so somehow this was missed who is not part of her Secret Service detail, went looking for it. They found it because since they had found one behind the RNC, they assumed that there's probably one by the DNC and they were correct. But her Secret Service detail did not find it. It's so fascinating. You know, to me, it just says so much about where we are in American politics when you've got people on the legitimate official main party in American politics at least aligned to or adjacent to what are clearly terrorist attacks um, yes. or attempted terrorist attacks. And there's no other way to describe those things. It's really kind of shocking. Well, and everybody that's supporting it, that's what shocks me. And I worked in this industry for so long as a Republican. I'm very familiar with the Capitol Hill Club and the RNC building. And, uh, you know, I, I know all of this. And so to see my former party latch onto this, it, it's chilling. Uh, it's not an idea that I've ever gotten used to. It is as upsetting to me today in 2022 as it was in 2015 when I first started catching on what was going on. You know, I was an early victim of some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I knew some of this before other people did. So maybe I'm not as surprised as you are. I'm not surprised, but it is just shocking. You know, I mean, you can't get used to this kind of thing when you've got someone, you got a party like this involved, at least adjacent yeah. to a terrorist attacks. It's just uh, impossible yeah, to understand how. Sydney Powell, boy, am I glad to see someone subpoena her. A lawyer she is not, but uh, you know, officially <laughs> she claims to be. And apparently, according to the January 6th committee, between mid-November 2020 and January the 6th, 2021, and thereafter, you actively promoted claims of election fraud on behalf of former President Trump in litigation and public appearances. The Select Committee seeks the evidence you relied upon to make those claims. That's really important. 
They're seeking the underlying evidence. I don't think she has very much. According to public reporting in December 2020, you urged President Trump to direct the seizure of voting machines around the country to find evidence that foreign adversaries had hacked those machines and alerted the results of the election. So that's a big allegation against her. I think the stuff about looking for the underlying evidence is really interesting because she had wild claims. I mean, Venezuela, it was all these election voting machines and the stuff that was created by that Flynn associate in that PowerPoint presentation. We have real evidence to base her allegations on. But then there she is also asking the president to seize voting machines around the country to find evidence. It's not the president's job to do that. Of course, it's the Department of Justice. If anyone was going to do that, I guess the Department of Justice would do it. I, my guess is that Barr refused. He didn't want to have any parts of this. That's why he left at a very opportune time for him mm. uh, so he could wash his hands of some of this. But, you know, think of it this way, Zev. If they're going to force Sidney Powell to cough up evidence, but we know that she was advising Trump to do things, maybe some that he didn't do and some he did do, and if she can't cough up evidence to the committee, we know that they couldn't cough up any evidence in all the multiple courtrooms that they were in when they were challenging things. But that means that they can say, okay, Donald Trump, you did X or you ordered X based on no evidence because there right. isn't any. Right. And so it seems to me, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but it kind of seems to me that that's what they can do if they are going for him. If the committee, I think, will go for him unless they did cut a deal, as we read about today, if they're kind of wavering, thinking, oh, no, because we heard Ted Cruz out there you know, now saying that they're going to impeach Biden for what he's done on COVID and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I think we have somebody else we can blame. Yeah, former really, guy. yeah, pull down all our election norms, absolutely chaos is really what they intend to yeah. do in avenging uh, any sort of attempt to do anything to Trump. But what can the committee do actually to Trump? There's not much they can say he did all these things, but without the DOJ acting, they don't have any teeth. Do they? No, no, they don't. What they can do is they can put it out there so that as democracy is supposed to work and people go to the polls they know what the party has done or not done. A lot of mm. people voted Democrat, you know, maybe for the first time in their life, so that Democrats would be able to clean this up and to get to the bottom of this. This is the worst political scandal, I think, in the history of our country, mm -hmm. or certainly one of them. I mean, we've come so close to losing our democracy, and we may still. So they feel it's incumbent upon them to do this because this is their job, whether or not DOJ does their job or not. Uh, maybe this will make it easier for DOJ, although it's not supposed to work like that and there'd be no reason for them to have to wait for January 6th committee to act. Uh, so that's perplexing and it is bipartisan. And so you can look at what the committee is doing. You can look at what your elected House member is or isn't doing. And then you can decide in November if they're doing the job that you sent them there to do or not. Right. Uh, so they're doing their job and they're doing it in a timely fashion because the House is on a two-year schedule this is what their job is. It's what we elected them to do. And so I think that that's what they're doing. They're putting it out there because it's their duty. One last of the uh, subpoenas that came out today, Jenna Ellis, who is the lawyer of the Trump campaign, I believe that's her title, between mid-November 2020 and January the 6th, 2021 and thereafter, you actively promoted claims of election fraud on behalf of former President Trump and sought to convince state legislators to take steps to overturn the election results. According to public reporting, you prepared and circulated two memos purporting to analyze the constitutional authority for the vice president to reject or delay counting electoral votes from states that had submitted alternate state slates of electors. 
Now, this was, you know, nonsense, basically. She did prepare these memos. We had them on the show a few weeks ago. I mean, it's just nonsense what she wrote in there. There's these are theories and ideas that obviously made no sense. But in those memos, she does argue that the vice president has some sort of authority to delay the counting of the votes and to look at these alternate slate of electors. I mean, she's not a constitutional scholar, as far as I know. She's just a lawyer, but I don't think Obviously. A, yeah, I don't think she's a deep-seated, uh, you know, she's not a raskin, you know. So uh, I don't think you're getting a really good understanding of what, of what the Constitution is in those memos. But it's shocking that, you know, this kind of stuff even gets to the presidents of the United States when it's uh, not verified and clearly not legal. Yeah. The orders from the same place, maybe it did come from him. And obviously, the man who was president at that time and the man who was vice president at that time had differing opinions on this. And that's where we get to the real nut of this. Mm -hmm. And what conversations did they have and what went on in those conversations where they determined that they had differing opinions on this? And that's where they have to talk to Pence and yeah. find out what, you know, did Pence say, look, I can't do this. Uh, this isn't right. This isn't legal. Uh, this is, you know, a bunch of, this is, just, it's ridiculous. And um, what did Trump say at that time? We know right. that uh, Pence talked to Dan Quayle, who said, you can't do this, you know. And, <laughs> you're getting your legal so, advice from Jenna Ellison, Dan Quayle, you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, this is not a good look. <laughs> and then we know that it was to the point, and this is what I find really interesting, and I'm not trying to get ahead here in, in the mm. discussion, but I find I keep focusing myself on that day and the fact that Mike Pence uh, would not get in the car with the Secret Service. And they said, oh, well, it's because he didn't want the optics of him driving away and leaving. No, he did not get in the car because he didn't trust them. He had already been locked out of their private offices mm. in the Capitol, as we know. He had to have seen the gallows hanging out there, mm. uh, you know, set up uh, in the Capitol grounds. He knew enough to know that the fact that he was not going along with this scheme meant that his life was in danger. Sure, and at that, left, point, yeah. at, at that point, that he didn't know about the pipe bombs. But uh, we know that Kamala Harris, is, the vice president-elect Kamala Harris, that day, her life was in danger. And again, this wasn't a bomb threat where somebody calls it in because they want something or they want to cause chaos. This was a bomb with a timer that was meant to go off. Coming up, our investigation into the 2016 election. Did Russia help Donald Trump win? You know, hardly a week goes by without someone thanking us in the comments of the show for keeping them sane. Of course, it's meant lightheartedly, but these are very stressful times. And there is help. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy platform, making professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient. When you join BetterHelp, You'll be assigned your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. Your sessions with your trusted therapist take place in a safe and private online environment. You don't need to drive anywhere or sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, and no one but you and your therapist needs to know. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So if you don't like your counselor, no problem. It's free and easy to switch counselors if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is also available. Anything you share is confidential. This is not a crisis line or self-help line. BetterHelp is professional counseling. BetterHelp is convenient, professional, and affordable. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash zev. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. 
That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Zev for 10% off your first month. Thank you, BetterHelp. So this would have been an assassination. What we don't know is I'm assuming, okay, if they were going after Pelosi and they were going after Pence to get rid of the line of secession, and we know that Grassley was on board because he was the you know old man and Grassley was bragging the day before, yeah, Pence isn't going to be there. So he knew something. He just said mm. the quiet part out loud, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the stage, right. He read the stage direction, <laughs> you know, out loud. And so, you know, he was in on this. But clearly, uh, Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House. And the vice president, Michael Pence, were in danger that day. We know that Kamala Harris was in danger that day. I think we can assume that Joe Biden, the president-elect, was also in danger that day. And it's something that others know about and they've been able to keep quiet, you know, or, we may, or maybe they haven't found it yet. But it, well, we know he was it certainly in danger in the days leading up to the inauguration. That was all our concern heading into that yeah. inauguration. So those days between the 6th and the, you know, I think the 20th, whatever it was, that the election the inauguration took place, I mean, clearly there was a real threat on his life uh, during that whole period of time. And so, you know, it's a horrendous thing when you think about what events took place in early January there. Yeah. Some people on the uh, chat rooms want to say, Bossy, isn't it awful? Or no, sorry, isn't it amazing? Some of these names are common in our everyday experience now. Then they say awful. Um, yeah, it is kind of amazing that these people stick around and they're all the same people all the time. Sharon says that you look like you've never been sick a day. Amazing, Sherry. Uh, and then <laughs> <Thank> someone, <you. laughs> and then Marie adds you that you look beautiful. So there you go. Uh, oh, to, to, thank you, thank <laughs> you, ladies. <laughs> there you go. Um, Matt Foster says for Powell, the underlining evidence is just biding one. Indeed, I think that's basically they were just trying to throw anything at the wall there. Certainly, Powell seems to be the mm. most unhinged of a lot of them. Or the one that seems the most unhinged. I yeah. mean, Giuliani is, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's a, if it's a contest, it would be tough. But, uh, you know, these were the people who were surrounding the commander in chief at that time. And Andrea says, you think that Pence would want to uh, spill the beans when he realized he is expendable or not? I mean, if he still thought he was under threat. I mean, that's really the question, right? That's really what you're saying there, Sherry. Yeah, I think that Pence was in danger and he knew it that day. Pelosi was in danger. Kamala Harris was in danger, and I'm sure that Joe Biden was in danger. Mm -hmm. And that's just the part that hasn't gotten out yet. So yeah. um, they were attempting to assassinate all of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's clear from Pence's action that day and what we find out afterwards that he knew it. He knew it, mm -hmm. which is why he would not get in the car. He also knew that they would just do it. You know, Grassley would take over and they would do what they were going to do anyway. Um, but I don't understand why he won't. Maybe he will eventually, you know. I think he's still I think quite he fearful. To. I think it's a different, difficult position he's got himself into. Certainly, if he does, he's going to be the target of Trump and the Republican Party. And certainly, his political career will be over if it isn't already. But, you know, he's also he's got to walk a fine line there. He can't just seem like he's flipping sides. Or he, Yeah, he he's probably like, waiting for some other people to go down yeah. first so that yeah. he doesn't have to be. He doesn't want to be a hero. No, not in this case. Well, I think it may have been, actually. And uh, also, <laughs> Polina also says, I think AOC was in danger, too. Didn't she yeah. hide behind the door of her office? Yeah, and, I mean, sorry, go ahead. She, she was so recognizable. And mm -hmm. if they found her, they would get her. And that was the, the case with, you know, and, and Schumer being let out, you know, running down the halls because the most recognizable people would have been killed. And they know it. And uh, AOC is a very recognizable person. And, you know, the Trumpers hate her. Uh, and so she was in danger and probably at a very, just it being a, a scary situation for anybody knowing that this was happening. And she, I guess, you know, hid in her private bathroom in her congressional offices 
but as it was happening very quickly, but at some point, you know, someone told her she was in danger, but she's smart enough to think quickly and know that we're all in danger, but yeah, probably, especially me, if they mm. find me. Yeah, and that, so that she was definitely on their list of people to get to that yeah. day and, and every day, frankly. Um, so it's, uh, it's frightening. Everyone in that, you know, when you look at all the video from that day, it was horrifying, terrifying for everyone, Republicans included. That's why they were so nervous and calling the president at the time and asking him to stop things. You know, there was a general and genuine sense of fear on the hill that day. Um, well, and those, they, they knew it. They had to know it was happening. Some knew it was going to happen, but they probably thought it was going to happen in a manner in which they would somehow be protected. But when you've got that kind of chaos and violence and you've and got people, people dying. Like that, that breach, the, yeah, and you, yeah. yeah, and they hear gunshots, then they know that they're not safe and that they're probably just, you know, collateral damage. Mm -hmm. All right, let's leave 2020 behind and let's go back to 2016 for our Bob Mueller lost files. Of course, we don't actually have Bob Mueller's lost files, but if we had mm -hmm. imagined his lost <laughs> files, it would include yeah. some of these stories that we're going to do in our investigation here around some of the events that happened in 2016. And, you know, interesting throughout all of this is the notion that in 2016, clearly they tried to win the election illegally. They may have won it illegally. They may have cheated their way to an election in 2016 and election win. And they did clearly in 2020, they were trying to win the election illegally and as they might do going forward. So it's interesting to go back to Mueller's files here because they are so revealing about the intentions and the strategies and the techniques of the Republican Party. They really don't seem like they have any interest in winning things legally. It's all about illegally winning the elections. Um, and so we take us to the story of Chris Vlasto. He's an ABC News producer. Uh, he produces many, many things. We'll go through some of his incredible uh, roster as a producer shortly. But let's go back to his history first before we introduce him as a character in this particular drama that you've surfaced from 2016. Firstly, you should know that Chris Vlasto is the grandson of the late uh, Solon G. Vlasto. That's the guy at the top of this picture here. And he was the publisher of The Atlantis, one of the most successful Greek language daily newspapers published in the United States. Atlantis was founded by the guy on the very left of the screen. That's Solon G. Vlasto's uncle in 1894. So the guy on the very left, he's a bit of a hero in the Greek community in New York because he was also the founder of the Greek Orthodox Church in 1892 in New York City. And he was the founder of this Atlantis Greek Daily. He was a big deal. And most, by all accounts, a lot of these immigrants who at the time were known as the Greek merchants who had family ties to the nobility of Chios, which is, of course, in Greece, the island of Chios, the most influential force in the New York Greek colony from 1850s to the 1890s. They provided the emerging Greek community with leadership and direction. One of the most influential leaders was, in fact, Solon J. Vlasto, says one um, account of the period. It's interesting. He was a tough character, Mr. Vlasto was. He was also literally horsewhipped in the lobby of a local hotel by the wife of an employee <laughs> he had fired. Oh, uh, so, even, worse. <laughs> even worse. He also allegedly had an affair with the wife of a senator. That was not a uh, good look for him, but he didn't mind because he said, the scandal sold newspapers, so he was winning regardless. So now we fast forward 100 years and his great grand nephew, I think is what you'd call him, Chris Vlasto, is working at ABC News. He's also has an appetite for public sexual scandal, it seems. And he's now backed by the power of network TV news, which was in that case was ABC News. And in January the 21st, 1998, Vlasto's great grand nephew, as I mentioned, he produced Jackie Judd's reporting of a very big scandal. In fact, he was the guy responsible for the coverage of President Clinton's Monica Lewinsky affair scandal. He was the guy right in the middle of that. Not just the guy covering the story from terms of White House reaction, but the guy who actually got in touch with Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp and did all the interviews on behalf of Jackie Judd. And also later on, 
uh, Diane Sawyer and um, Barbara Walters. Remember those interviews? Here's a little look of his work. This is the scandal as it broke on ABC News around this week, believe it or not, in 1998. President Clinton faces allegations of asking a former White House intern to lie about their relationship. A very difficult day for the White House. I didn't ask anybody not to tell the truth. There is no improper relationship. The allegations I have read are not true. Pope John Paul II arrives in Cuba. A very good day for Cuba. Sam, stay with us for just a moment. We first learned about this story from ABC's Jackie Judd. She's been covering the Whitewater investigation led by the Independent Counsel, Kenneth Starr. And this report of hers tonight begins with the two women at the center of this story. When Monica Lewinsky left the White House to work at the Pentagon, she became friends with this woman, Linda Tripp. And it is Tripp who months later brought Lewinsky to the attention of the independent counsel, Ken Starr. ABC News has learned that last summer, Tripp began recording her phone conversations with Lewinsky, in which the young woman allegedly spoke about her affair with Mr. Clinton and his efforts to convince her to lie to cover it up. Why would Tripp secretly tape their talks? She had earlier worked at the White House, and one source says she was angry when Mr. Clinton's attorney, Robert Bennett, called her a liar for claiming the president had made a pass at another White House aide. Why would Tripp go to Star? Last month, both Tripp and Lewinsky were subpoenaed by lawyers in the Paula Jones sexual harassment lawsuit, who were looking for more evidence of sexual misconduct by the president. Lewinsky allegedly told Tripp that she was going to lie about the affair, and Tripp had to as well. Because Tripp knew independent counsel Starr and didn't trust the Justice Department to protect her, Tripp went to Starr with tapes of more than 10 calls with Lewinsky. Significantly, she also claimed she had heard three messages from the president himself on Lewinsky's voicemail. It is unclear whether Starr has obtained those messages. ABC News also has learned that Starr's office and the FBI wired Tripp to record a conversation with Lewinsky and gave her equipment to tape more calls so that investigators could hear for themselves what had been in the earlier tapes. Lewinsky allegedly claims in the tapes that Mr. Clinton told her to deny their relationship to Jones's lawyers and to see Clinton confidant Vernon Jordan. According to a source who heard the tapes, Lewinsky says Jordan instructed her to lie under oath because lawyers never prosecute perjury in a civil case, and he promised her help in finding a new job. Jordan refused comment today. Sources tell ABC News that Jordan also helped Lewinsky find a lawyer who filed a sworn affidavit in which he did deny a sexual relationship with the president. Another lawyer, newly hired by Lewinsky's family, would not rule out that her story could change. I am saying it would be irresponsible for me to make an absolute statement, and I have made no absolute statement until I complete this whole process. Lewinsky is scheduled to be deposed on Friday by Paula Jones's attorney. Sources say as of now, Peter, she plans on taking the fifth. Uh, Jackie, one question on this subject of depositions. When the president was deposed last Saturday in the Paula Jones case, do we know whether he was asked about the Lewinsky affair and if he was what he said? Yes, we've been led to believe that he was asked about this and that he denied having any sexual relationship with her. Okay, thanks very much, Jackie Judd. In Washington. 
Nice to go back in that little capsule into that big scandal, which was you know dominated all our lives back then. Uh, what are your memories of those days? Well, you know, Dave Bossy was a big player during all that. He had been on the House uh, Oversight Committee for a while, so he's part of that world. That's how and, he knows Chris Lester and Rod Rosenstein as well. And he was if, part of that. He was and, part um, of Chris of uh, the Star Committee team and, and George and Conway. Conway. Yeah, George and Conway. George Conway. Yeah. Uh, so you know, these are. People that <laughs> these are names that we have people, some of them that I knew. I certainly known Dave Bossy for decades. So that's why uh, what I find interesting is we didn't read about any of this in the Mueller report. And it wasn't until about election night 2016. It was the Lewandowski Dave Bossy book that they mm -hmm. wrote together after that. And they talked about Chris Blasto making that call to them at 501 on election night. It's really fascinating. Uh, telling them that. Yeah, that they had lost. Now, when you first of all remember that there, a whistleblower has said that Carl Rove allegedly told her that if a state is within three points, you can cheat undetected. Now, presumably that means you go in, you know, the machines, you just take a few votes per precinct and no one's going to notice. So you put that on top of the fact that Paul Manafort had provided Vladimir Putin, essentially, with internal polling mm. to kind of know where they knew let's, their let me soft stop you spots let's, were let's going actually, to be. Let's listen to the list of the last, let's go step by step here, because I don't want us to run ahead a little okay. bit. But this is the conversation you're talking about in Bossy's book, right? This is how I'm they go back. With, so Vlasta says, are you sitting down? Bossy says, oh boy, this can't mm -hmm. be good. Vlasta says, no, it's not. Together. You guys are in for a long night, meaning it's not good results. You're going to lose. Yeah. Bossy wrote down the numbers and read them to Bannon, Priebus, and Kushner, who called Trump, who then told Melania. Jared says, we're going to lose. This is in yeah. Bossy's book with yeah. Lewandowski. And, the, and so that's a pretty big deal because at that mm -hmm. point, you know, obviously Manafort would have had those numbers as well mm -hmm. and knew exactly what to do with them. So when you put all this together and then after that, these states where Hillary Clinton had been polling ahead and mm -hmm. was ahead and they were told at 501 that she had won them, something happened that night, mm -hmm. didn't they? The magical unicorn numbers changed. Let, let me just actually and, pause you there just to talk about these exit polling. I've been there at those networks when you get the results. You know, these are exit polls that are conducted by the networks as a consortium. Mm -hmm. Basically, are polling people as they leave their polling booths every day or during the election day and asking them who they voted for. So by exactly five o'clock, you get the results of the elections. Pretty damn close is what you think it's going to be that night, unless someone changes the numbers somehow. But because of the exit polling being pretty broad based and because of the previous polling you can compare it to, people tend to believe the exit polling as being very accurate. So I remember in 2008 when Barack Obama won, I knew at five o'clock that Barack Obama was going to win, even though we were still on the air till 11 o'clock that night. But we were able to prepare our next morning's broadcast knowing a little ahead of time who was going to win. Now, it's a big no-no, and I mean it's a serious no-no in those networks. You're not allowed to reveal the results to anybody. In fact, you're not even really allowed to reveal it to your staff. It's only the executive producers that are meant to know. So in this case, for Vlasto to be calling a campaign, regardless if it's a friend or not, but calling a campaign and briefing them on exit polling results is certainly putting him part of a conspiracy to defraud the people of the United States for that election. It's a very complicated... The polls were really, still open. People were still open. voting. Yeah. yeah. Five o'clock. There's nothing in the East Coast. Five o'clock. It's two o'clock in the West Coast. People plenty of time to vote there. And even in the East Coast, the polling yeah. stations were still open. So having that information would be very useful. It would be even more useful if you knew all the other polling. If you knew what Manafort gave Kalimnik, who was a GRU asset that he had uh, worked with before in the Ukraine, you know, he handed over to Kalimnik lots of 
polling results that they'd internally done for the campaign. So they knew which states they were going to likely be losing in, which states were going to be close. If you had those and you had the exit polling, then if you were Russia and you had access to some of these servers that ran these elections, which we know now they did, then While you could the actually votes affect were still being counted and being cast. Yeah, I want to make yeah. that point. That's While important. Because you could just send people over. You could even just send people to the polls and just say, we need more of you. You know, we are so close, we need more. But in this case, it could have been, I think, judging by the breakdowns, as we see in those three key states, and I think you pointed this out, that it's really Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Those were the number of votes in each state that really took Donald Trump over the top. And remember, Clinton won the election in the popular vote very, very handily. So it's remarkable that Donald Trump was able to eke out a victory here. And this is how he did it. Just, uh, right. With just the right a number of votes, you know, the right numbers so as not to trigger an automatic recount, but enough to put him, you know, over the finish line so that he would get just that right combination, slice mm-hmm. and dice, very surgical, right combination of electoral, but to take, put him over the finish line with the electoral college, even though he had lost the popular vote, as you noted, by 3 million. Mm. So again, when you've got Manafort giving Russia the internal polling before that, so they could kind of knew where they were going. And then the night of, while polls were still open, while votes were still being tabulated at 5.01 to get that information so they can go in and do what they needed to do. Now we know then these, if you talk to Jennifer Cohen and she's very good at this and she can go through and say they've greatly improved the voting machines, not completely, but it would have been very difficult. Plus people were on the watch in 2020, which is why Trump panicked and they had to, you know, paper votes, paper ballots were such a threat to them, Mm -hmm. which is why DeJoy was so obvious. But in 2016, I believe that this is what happened because nothing else makes sense. Everybody was shocked that night. And the fact in their own book, the fact that they didn't say, oh, it's close or no, that makes no sense because we have other information that says we were winning. They all acknowledge, yeah, we lost. And it Mm. didn't surprise them. So the fact that something very odd happened after that is the problem. Yeah, I I also, it should be noted as well that when the people did compare the actual results to some of the exit polling, particularly in Wisconsin, it seemed that all the unusual results that popped up, the stuff that didn't make sense in terms of the results not actually matching the exit polling, showed up in precincts that had electronic voting and had gone overwhelmingly to uh, Hillary Clinton. So if you look at Wisconsin, it was just 22,000 votes that needed to be changed there. You know, just a third party candidate there in each of these cases, Gary Johnson, you know, getting between 2.4 and 3.6% of the vote. That's enough of a margin there to fuddle around with those numbers, to fudge around a little bit, take some numbers of his victories, of his votes and add them to Donald Trump. It's kind of easy to do if you had access to those polling and no one would be much right. the wiser for us because- Exactly, undetected. Yeah, as Carl Rove, Rove allegedly told a whistleblower, that's mm. how it would work. But they didn't rely just on that. You know, what they do is they take all these other measures to make sure that they can get, and this is what we saw clearly in 2020, uh, Trump taking all of these measures, you know, just blatant voter suppression and everything else they were doing to try and bring states as close to that magic 3% mm-hmm. as they could. And so they do all of these other things to try and get to that point, to try and set up a situation, fertile ground, if you will, so that on election night, they've got different combinations that they can put together with states that are within that 3% margin where you might be able to do some funny business undetected. It's not like they always knew it was going to be those three states. They want to increase their opportunities and their options to make sure there's fertile ground to take whatever, you know, I'm sure they have various measures in place, but this is what I think when you connect the dots. I mean, we're not stupid. I think it's pretty clear this is what happened in 2016. I think so. And what you're pointing out is really important for everyone to think about. You know, it's not just one strategy. It's about suppressing the votes first. 
bring it as close mm-hmm. to as possible to that 3% margin that you point out that Carl Rove said you can cheat within. And then on top of that, layering on as much polling and information data that they can, you know, probably illegally get out of the system in order to fudge the final votes, um, whether you do it in real terms and by people showing up at the polling stations or whether you do it electronic, which is what seems to have happened here. It does seem to me like this is the strategy of the Republican Party, whether it's 2016, 2020, or going forward, this seems to be how they intend to try and win is by somehow rigging the votes in their favor. Right. And that's why you've got heroes like Mark Elias out there, uh, state by state, fighting these battles against all the voter suppression laws, because they will do everything, every single measure that they can take. And now they become more bold because they've seen Trump get away with this stuff for so long. Uh, blatant voter suppression, racism that goes along with the open you know, white supremacism and trying to suppress the black vote any way they possibly can. So it's voter suppression. It's making sure there aren't paper ballots. I mean, everything they can possibly do, um, making it as difficult as possible for people to vote uh, and as confusing as possible. And, you know, they'll do the same thing again. You know, we just found out that while Louis DeJoy is gone, um, basically the board or whatever it is just elected somebody just like him, or at least, Mm. you know, somebody on that side. Uh, So we're not safe from that uh, Mm. because they've planted this all around. And then, you know, Trump has always felt that he had anything he could take to the Supreme Court that mattered, you know, they would fall on his side. Um, mm. That's why you stack the courts. Exactly. Um, so this they've was thought very about methodical. every stage of this, every stage of this, they've really thought yeah. about how to rig every stage. And that's what's terrifying going ahead. Um, Matt Fosa says that the oft repeated no tallies were changed. Got to really visit that now. And I think actually that's a good point. You know, we were all told from, I don't know where it just sort of came down. The results were right, you know, no tallies were changed, but I don't know where that originated from. There was an official statement, I don't think, maybe. But, well, they know, didn't order any audits. That's the election that they should have audited, and Hillary Clinton should have gone for some recounts. And for some reason, everybody was maybe shell-shocked. Maybe they thought, there's nothing we can do about this now. It'll tear the country apart even more if we push for something like this, or it'll make her look like a sore loser. Because at that point, we didn't know all this stuff about Trump and his thugs mm. and what he was capable of. Uh, we know it was bad. I kind of knew more than other people because of mm. some things that were done to me, uh, which I've talked about pretty openly. But, you know, and people were saying that night, we'll get through this. Yeah, we we'll will somehow, it's going to be difficult, but we will survive this Trump presidency. And here he's been defeated. But I don't think we can say that we survived the Trump presidency. And we are still Far living from it. it. We're still I living think it. we're in trouble. Mm. And until we see some indictments and justice and some accountability mm. and the fact that we're not, that's what's uh, bone chilling because I agree this is not over. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you because what we're seeing here is a pattern, right? If they did this in 2016, if they did it in 2020, guess what? They're going to do it in 2024. It's just the nature of who they are. It's just how they're running things. Sharon points out, just like he muscled a Raffsenberger to do in Georgia, and you're referring to when he said, uh, just, you know, we need to find, what is it, 12,000 votes, whatever it was in Georgia. 11, right? Yeah, find 11,000, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so very similar. In well, he found of- votes, yeah. They found 77,000 votes on election night in 2016, so this is what they do. Exactly. And then David says, Rosenstein, uh, NSO versus WhatsApp. So, you know, Rosenstein landed up leaving the DOJ after overseeing the Mueller report and overseeing this investigation and right into the arms of an Israeli tech firm that attacks people's cell phones, at least the legal firm that represents them. Uh, so that's interesting. Andrea says, this isn't news. I would like to know why the media never spoke about this. Very disappointing that Obama pushed Hillary to concede. He must have known something was up with Russia. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we know he definitely knew that. Mm -hmm. He knew about Flynn. 
again, I just think this was so big that we could, well, a lot of people still can't get their head around it. When we talk about some of these obvious things, as we do on your shows, Ev, mm. and have always, there's still that crowd that's like, oh, that didn't happen. These, this is tinfoil hat conspiracy stuff. And it's like, no, it's, it's really yeah. not. Yeah. And as you know, I'm somebody that worked on Capitol Hill in senior positions for a very long time, for many years, in a different time, in the before times. And I was an RNC spokesperson, and I've run campaigns, and I've sat around the conference table in the Roosevelt Room, you know, in the Bush White House, Bush too. And I know these people. So for me to kind of say that I believe that this is what happened is kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not some wild conspiracy uh, theorist out there, you know, trying to get eyeballs on my blog or something like that. Um, This is just, you know, I know the players and um, it's chilling and it's frightening. And as I said, we're not done by a long shot. And until we see Trump held accountable, then that means indictments. We have to assume that we're still in trouble. And, you know, even if the Mueller report left a lot of things out and a lot of it was redacted, the Senate Intelligence Committee, Volume 5, is, is very definitive about a lot of these things. And you can't really read that uh, assessment and say that this didn't happen. It's clearly happened. And so there's a lot of evidence mm-hmm. to prove that all of this happened. Uh, the mail-in votes made all the difference in 2020. Indeed, they did. But what are we going to do this time around now that they know about the mail-in <laughs> votes? You know, we can't <laughs> keep changing the system. And as they keep trying to suppress votes by these local state laws that they're putting in, it becomes very hard to outrun their rigging attempts. Yeah. And um, they're installing a lot of their people at the local level to, to get this stuff done. And I've never seen anything like it. You're always going to have bad players, bad guys. Mm. You know, the people that were the signing their names, the forgeries for the false slate of electors, they're doing it proudly on video. I mean, this is a cult. These mm. are people who really think, I mean, they believe this stuff. I mean, there's been such a psych ops done on people where they're willing to do things that perhaps they never would have been willing to do before. I don't know if we'll ever uh, get to the bottom of just how deep some of that goes and how these people were convinced that this was okay. Is it just Fox News? Is it just Tucker Carlson? You know, we're looking at the entire ecosystem. And the other thing, just going back to what you were talking earlier on about Manafort, I mean, Manafort was sent to the Ukraine to basically do exactly the same thing. You know, the same thing he did with Trump, he tried to do uh, in Ukraine where he got the right wing leader there. But, you know, basically Deripaska, Oleg Deripaska, the Vladimir Putin oligarch, Mm -hmm. hired Manafort in the same way he did to do work in the United States for $10 million a year. He hired Manafort to do the same in Ukraine. And it's in Ukraine that they landed up appointing this unknown politician who was sort of rough around the edges. They redid his character and he finally got elected as the president of their country. After four years, he was eliminated after a big revolution there. But the same people that did that, which is basically Manafort, you see circled there, Konstantin Kalimnik, who's on the very left circled there. It's not many pictures of him, but we know now he was a GRU, basically a Russian spy, a Russian operative. And then Rick Gates and Tony Fabrizio. Those are the people Mm -hmm. that they did that in Ukraine with. And then two years later, after the Viktor Yanukovych was removed from power by the Maidan revolution in Ukraine in 2014, two years later, they show up backing the Trump campaign and working for the Trump campaign in the United States, also working for Daddy Pasca. We know that because that is the conversation that we know Manafort had with Kalimnik um, about sending over polling results, about updating him and briefing Daddy Pasca whenever he wanted. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious, right? I mean, you can't look at all of this you and know, say Manafort, you know, just working independently. He was not. He was working for Daddy Pasca. Yeah, of course not. And of course not. And that's why Hillary, Hillary yeah. knew that Trump was Putin's puppet. She said it. She was right. I want to go back to something one of your viewers when they mm-hmm. had uh, they posted it about why are we just learning about this stuff about Basto, Chris Basto, and what he did. 
why didn't the media report it? Well, he is the media and they mm-hmm. circle the wagons around him. And as I found out, you cannot criticize the media, the top media execs, because you will be silenced. You will be blacklisted. And even print reporters, you know, they need their TV segments uh, for their own careers. And so nobody's going to do something that's going to anger or ruffle the feathers of the network and cable net TV executives. And yeah, so that's why the media did not jump on it because they're all friends with these guys. They do protect each other. It, it is clubby it is uh, and clubby. there's green room relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, that's why I started the show off by talking about Vlasto's grandfather and great grandfathers, because these are institutionalist guys. They come from, you know, Greek Orthodox church and uh, money probably, and also the Greek uh, Orthodox royalty, the monarchy. Uh, that's where their roots are from. So you know that this is the type of people that they are. And Vlasto has, did not get fired from ABC News for this egregious thing that he did. I mean, he, he went on to not only get a promotion to I think vice president of investigations, which is a big deal at ABC News, yeah. but he also hosted this podcast called The Investigation about the impeachment. He did a live podcast every day for 50 days about the impeachment, which is you know, decidedly pro-Trump, as you can tell from that poster over there. So, you know, if I did that, <laughs> I would have been fired pretty quickly at any news network. I'm surprised Vlasto did not get fired for leaking information of such magnitude and getting in trouble on a national stage and doing really and getting away with it. It's kind of stunning when you think about it. Yeah, it's stunning when you look at the things that someone on broadcast news uh, in political news can get fired for versus the things that they can't mm-hmm. um, or why somebody can get blacklisted. You know, I found out you do not tell the truth about Donald Trump and that super PAC that mm-hmm. he had. And that's how I got um, blacklisted because Trump wanted me silenced because he had a super PAC. He lied to the Washington Post when he said he didn't. But this is where all the money was supposed to come in. You know, he was not a billionaire. He wasn't self-funding. And as a result, because I remember I got the call on a Saturday night network, one of the three network news, Mm. um, one of the producers calling me and said, because of this, um, they've had to, Trump canceled his entire weekend schedule. They're all flying back to Trump Tower and meeting, trying to figure out how to handle this because they were in a panic. And they ended up, you know, shuttering the super PAC, which of course they had nothing to do with and didn't know because it was somebody that, you know, the guy no, I, I've been uh, seeing in Trump Tower. He's a friend of Lewandowski. So, um, yeah. I feel for you. And I, would say I went through a very similar situation when I was there in, in at CBS News for a couple of years. Uh, you know, the minute I started covering LGBTQ right movement uh, to legalize gay marriage. I was told in no uncertain terms that I had to stop. And when I didn't, uh, because, you know, it was news. I, my job was to cover the news. How do you st- select what stories? That's not what yeah. news producers do. We went to cover the news. You know, I, I was fired for the same reason. So, you know, there is political agenda in those networks and that's how they operate. It's, you know, and they don't let you back in the club very easily if they do at all. And it's a very, you pay a heavy price and all these people know that. Well, and nobody comes to your aid because when you're getting pummeled, they all step aside because they don't want to get splattered with the blood. Right, you know? exactly, exactly. And, uh, yeah. In fact, they pile on sometimes. And that's why it, that's it, why it <laughs> sticks. Yeah, that's why it sticks. Nobody comes says, you know, you were treated badly and you had to come back in. But yeah, that doesn't happen. And I've had conversations with, uh, you know, Brian Stelter, who was a colleague of mine. And I said, you know, how is it possible that you have not covered the fact that it was a Time Warner meeting that introduced Jared Kushner to Henry Kissinger and during Dimitri Sines was there? How is it possible that, you know, you didn't mention that Jeff Zucker was the guy who introduced them? How do you get away with that as the media guy at CNN? And, you know, there's a gentle. Because uh, they can. Of- and print isn't going to touch it because, again, they want their segments on CNN. And if print goes there, then, you know, print reporters are the ones that do a lot of the breaking news and get a lot of the stuff. But they get 
their star power from getting booked on and getting contracts on mm. CNN, MSNBC, exactly. Fox News, that sort of thing. One thing that I, in one of the meetings when Manafort was giving that internal polling data to Kalimnik, they actually met at that 666 building that belonged to Kushner. Mm -hmm. And they left separately so that they wouldn't be seen together. So they knew that they were doing something secret that they weren't supposed oh, yeah. to be doing. And they knew that the Kushner building was safe. And it's not only the Kushner building, I think they met at the, I can't remember the name, but the top floor of the bar there, it's a Cuban bar. It's a known place for Russian operatives to meet. And Rudy Giuliani is the guy who, you know, sort of holds court over there. So. Uh, yes, they knew it was safe and they knew that they, I can't remember the name. Anyhow, right there, you can Google it at the top of uh, the 666 buildings where they hang out, the Russians, when they want to plot all sorts of mm -hmm. things. Um, great having in you on the show in tonight, Sherry. Building. Yeah, in Jared's <laughs> Thank building. Thank you, it's good to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate yeah, this. We covered, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we did, and there's so many connections between all this stuff, and it's why I think it's so important yeah. to not forget about 2016, not forget about the Mueller report, and not forget about the fact that this is an ongoing attack on our democracy. And, you know, it started in 2015, has not ended. We're seeing it right now with the way the Republicans are acting in the House. We see it now with the suppression laws that have been implemented, then no backing of the voting rights bill. This is all suppression that's going on, and it's an attack on our democracy. We saw it in the 2020 elections, as we see every day from the commission as they release more and more subpoenas and more information. And we're going to see it, you can take my word for it, this year when we vote again in November and certainly in 2024. This is an ongoing attack on America. And to add another layer of it, it's not just coming from the inside. There's certainly countries on the outside trying to do it as well, mm -hmm. and that just makes it even harder for us to contain. On that note, we wish you a very good night and thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Sherry. Always great to see you. Hope yeah. you'll be back soon. And uh, we'll be able to do another one of these. We should do another lost file, see if we can find one that's worth doing. And thank you at home for watching and uh, we'll see you again tomorrow night. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.